0: So we're doing a bit of painting around church. We're doing a bit of uh, sprucing up. And um, there there was a room that had a paint that was sort of peeling like it was wallpaper. And uh, the person, the crew that was supposed to paint uh, said they were going to be in in the evening to do the work from 530 onward. And I said, great. I, I like should never touch paint stuff. I've got no skills here, and I always ruin things. So I went in, and I, and I thought, you know, I've, I've, there's this, the, the, the putty, the, not the putty, the putty knife is there, and, and so I just started picking at the wall, and it started coming off. And so I, uh, I started, like, just sheets at a time of, like, paint that was, like, wallpaper coming off, and I thought, I'm going to be able to, like, save the day here. I'm going to get the walls all prepped before this team comes in, and they're just going to be able to zip it on, and it'll be great. So. I started going, and then I hit a patch that didn't come off so easily. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe there's just this spot that was glued and the other part is glued. I don't, know. I don't know what's happening here. And so I realized that there's larger chunks that are glued than not. And so you have these cross sections of drywall and now this paint that, that can't come off. And I'm like spending hours just meticulously trying to get it off the drywall, you know. And so I'm like, okay, this is really embarrassing. I shouldn't have touched this. Um, this is going to look awful now, and so I'm like, well, what if I just, like, scrape a little harder for this stuff that, uh, that doesn't have, or the, that, that doesn't come off so easily, so I, I did that, I started scraping, and I, I went like this, and it just, like, took off all the drywall right down to the cardboard. And I thought, well, that doesn't look good. <laughs> so what, what's, like, the logical thing to do? Sit some, set something down and walk away, right? I just, I couldn't walk away, and so... I just started scraping, and there's like half of one wall is now just cardboard. <laughs> and I'm thinking, they're coming in in two hours, and they're going to see this. So I'm like, well, what's the next logical thing to do? Paint over it. <laughs> so I paint this whole wall with primer, and I'm like, that doesn't look too bad. <laughs> you know. All that to say, it wasn't just one wall that was ruined by the end. And I I tell this story to illustrate, we've been talking about church, (laughs) and last week, remember one of the things we talked about was how important it is that we don't have any hostility in church, right? So I'm I'm confessing because now I'm expecting no hostility from all of you, but all that to to say, too, that the painting crew that showed up was so gracious to me, (laughs) they were like, Oh, I mean, it it doesn't look that bad. Well, we'll we can put some mud on it, and it'll look great. And and they even told me, like, like half of what you did was actually helpful. You know, so... (laughs) Anyway, thank you, painting crew. Thank you, Grassroots Church. We're on our way to a hostility-less church. Um, So church, yes, we're talking about church. Church is... Not, not always an easy place. It's sometimes a messy place. Sometimes mistakes get made. Sometimes uh, it's a hard place to be and kind of come up with this image here to describe some of what we've been talking about all summer, which is to say that the church and the kingdom of God are two kind of different things that relate to one another. So the kingdom of God is symbolized here in this tree, uh, and Jesus often talks about the kingdom of God as a tree or a shrub or a, a seed that grows up into something. And, and you'll see at the front of the church here on the green wall coming in, there's a, a picture of Jesus's parable about a small bush growing up into a great tree and the birds of the air and the vulnerable people of the world finding shelter and rest in, in God's kingdom. And so God's kingdom isn't under our control. He's the one that's establishing his kingdom and it's kind of wild, and it's kind of ruly, and we can't really control it, even if we want it to. Our job is less to control God's kingdom than to help tend it and build for it. Uh, where, and so you have the kingdom of God there symbolized in the tree, and then the church building, which is the church, the community of people who are called to help build for this kingdom. And we've got a little star there in a way to say that uh, the church of Jesus Christ is at its best when it's oriented to the the kingdom of God. And if we're not oriented to the kingdom of God, then we get off into all sort of sidetracks and all sorts of things that, you know, are are distractions. And oftentimes you find churches, you know, just sort of a a church building full of bickering people, uh, kind of fighting with one another. And outside grows this kingdom. And oftentimes churches can be aloof to this kingdom as well. So anyway, this is what we're talking about this summer. And we've... um, We've kind of gone through, oh, here's my clicker. We've kind of gone through a number of sermons, which uh, we talked about the kingdom of God being God's rule on earth, the way God would desire the earth, his will on earth uh, being done, and the, the church being a place that, uh, uh, a group of people that helps to do that, to help anticipate that. We looked at Paul's teaching on church, uh, which, uh, and in and, and Paul's teaching on church, we taught, we learned about unity and the importance of of unity and uh, being uh, kind of together and revering one another along the way and how important that is, as well as uh, these two major things Jesus teaches us to in his teaching, uh, to stay oriented to the kingdom, which is everything that we do needs to be, we have to ask the question, is this preaching the gospel and is this bringing healing to the world? Preaching and healing, the two major ways that God's kingdom are built. And so we stay oriented to the kingdom, but we also stay oriented through Preaching and healing and making sure that, that that's our business and that's what we do. But preaching and healing can come in all different forms and sometimes different than we expect. And so we talked about that. You can catch up on the podcasts um, online for that if, if you like. Uh, this week, uh, we're going to be talking, getting a little more nitty-gritty, a little more asking the question, okay, so if we stay oriented to the kingdom of God, if we're preaching and healing, well, what do we do? What kind of things do the churches do that they spend their time doing, and how can we ensure that we're making uh, the best of it? And uh, we'll talk about the big four here, you, and this comes out, and I'll preach a li- this week and next week. We'll talk about two each, uh, each week. The big four, devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings Praying together in sacred spaces, breaking bread in one another's homes, and meeting as many needs as possible. And this comes out from the the Acts community, the very first Christians trying to do church, trying to figure out what it was like, and uh, the, the... writer of the Gospel of Acts tells us that they, they did these four things. And so we take these four things now as, as any church and say, are we doing these? Are, we, are, are the people coming into uh, the church building, are the people that are joining up in the church community, uh, are we always constantly together doing these four things? And, um, and so before we get to, we'll do the, the apostles' teachings and the praying together in sacred spaces today. But before I do, I'm going to put this picture up here uh, to do a little bit of uh, prep work and before we get to the scriptures. Uh, This is a picture of Herod's temple, the great Solomon's temple, which Herod had uh, bolstered around and made a glorious uh, temple uh, construct in the ancient world. And this was in Jerusalem. This was in the city of Jerusalem in Jesus' day. He spent a lot of time in this temple. And it was a magnificent place where the Jewish people considered God's very presence to dwell they would come here and they'd pray, they'd make sacrifices, all sorts of things in this, this glorious place. And uh, if you follow the, the progression of Jesus' life, he spends some time in this temple teaching. And then his followers, right after he, I'll he, uh, we'll get into this today, right after he ascends to, to heaven, his followers spend like all their time in this temple praying and preaching and doing miracles and healing. And so uh, there's a couple things today to talk about. One, if we talk about Devoting ourselves to the apostles' teachings, we have to ask ourselves, well, what are the apostles' teachings? And second, we have to ask ourselves, um, if they're going to pray in this sacred space, what do we know about this sacred space? Because it's actually important to to consider as we think about our own prayer life as a church. And I'll I'll show you why here. Uh, But first, the apostles. The apostles, for those of you who uh, may not know, were Jesus's. Uh, disciples. They were the people, the, the major, the main twelve people who Jesus called uh, close to him during his ministry. And um, Judas, one of the apostles, as, as some of you might know, betrayed Jesus at the end and and hung himself. And so he he's not around uh, at this point in the story. Uh, and then the apostle Paul comes along, and he's another great apostle. And the mark of an apostle: How can you be called an apostle? It's it's if you've seen Jesus, if you've lived your life and you've walked along uh, in, his, in his earthly ministry. So there were 12 apostles, then there was 11, and then Paul comes on, if you read the, the narrative of Luke and Acts, Paul comes on as another person who sees Jesus through the vision, and they're considered apostles. And so by the time we hear about this early church devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, remember, even the book of Acts wasn't written yet. All of the New Testament wasn't written yet. They, they were Jewish people, so they read the Old Testament, but in, but in addition to the Old Testament, now they're devoting themselves to listening to the people who lived and walked and ate and s- cried and suffered and laughed with Jesus in his earthly life because they were the ones to whom he gave the message to continue on. So the apostles, these are the, these are the people who saw Jesus, uh, th- who, who absorbed everything that uh, that he taught, and now we're passing it on to the next generation. And they devoted their almost their entire life, all of their extra energy, all of their resources and energy to learning what these guys had to say, and, and thousands of people would want uh, would want to know and follow. So the apostles, and the apostles' teachings. Uh, this is this is what they were doing day in and day out in this temple. Now, prayer in sacred spaces. We're going to dig into the temple here just a little bit because it's this most amazing place uh, before it was destroyed. About. Um, Thirty years after jesus after Jesus ascended to heaven, so this this place was built over the course of hundreds of years. Uh, this place was uh, if you remember the Old Testament well this place is where god 's presence came with with light and smoke into this into this tall holy of holies place, and he dwelt there until he left after this people um, just sort of went astray so much he 's like i 'm I will no longer dwell here among this unclean people. Until you get your act together, I have to leave. So there's this great scene in the the Old Testament where he he leaves with a bunch of chariots. God leaves with a bunch of chariots. And so uh, Jewish people went into exile. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, there was this great promise in their hearts, in their minds. God says, when you get your act together, when I've cleansed you, I will return. I will come back. I will be in this place and you will come to this very place on earth and find my presence. And so this this very mysterious type of uh, promise. And so by Jesus' day, they were all still waiting. But in the meantime, uh, a couple of kings had come along and built this place up to this most glorious of buildings. And if if you uh, had spent time in there, you would have been completely awestruck. Uh, A writer, Josephus, describes it like this. This is an ancient writer who who saw the temple before it was destroyed. Now the outward face of the temple in its front stunned one and all, sparking imagination and capturing our eyes. For it was covered all over with plates of gold of great weight. And at the first rising of the sun, The golden wall reflected back a very fiery splendor and made those who forced themselves to look upon it to turn their eyes away, just as they would have done at the sun's own rays. But this temple appeared to strangers when they were coming to it at a distance, like a mountain covered with snow, for as to those parts of it that were not covered in pure gold, they were exceedingly white. On its tops it had spikes with sharp points to prevent any pollution of it by birds. Hey, we kind of still do that, uh, if you notice. Um, for pigeons, uh, sitting upon it. Of its stones that made up its walls, some of them by their own right, were 70 feet in length, seven feet high, and 10 feet in breadth. I read that to give us a sense of like, when you came to this place, you were awestruck. They created this place to say, of all the places in the world, the God of heaven chooses to dwell here. And there's another place where he's writing, and he talks about the stonework was so beautiful that there were like clusters of grapes that were depicted the size of a human being, the size of a man, clusters of grapes. And the closest thing that I've ever seen to anything like this was the Taj Mahal. Has anyone here ever had a chance to go to the Taj Mahal in, in, in India? You go, and it's this most unbelievably awe-inspiring place. And these are the walls here. You see the, the stonework here. Uh, imagine the stonework in the, the great Jewish temple of clusters of grapes and uh, depicting the creation because the, God, the, the creator, God, lived here. Uh, and the, the, the scope and scale of this place. When I mean, You see the people down here. You come into this magnificent... This is just probably a third of, uh, of the height of what the Jerusalem temple would have been in this little archway here, this magnificent place that you walk around and... and uh, This is a mausoleum, actually. The Taj Mahal is a mausoleum. Um, It's it's so hard to describe the the importance of this temple. It, It would be like the Taj Mahal on top of the sleeping giant. And the giant was like speaking to you. And we believed that that was the creator of the universe and the creator of the universe dwelled there. And we would go every festival, every couple of weeks if we could, we'd go into the temple and pray there and worship. And um, we would be awestruck and inspired. Now this is the place that the disciples decided to hang out after Jesus Jesus, um, was resurrected. Uh, So all that to say, I'll I'll leave leave it here for a second. This is the the temple as well. Another depiction of what it must have been look like from an aerial view, kind of around with all the columns and and, and whatnot. So lots to learn about this temple, and it's very important, actually, to understand who Jesus is and how he considered himself. So more on that probably to come in the fall. Uh, But for the the meantime, we kind of ask the question to ourselves, like, how how do we learn from this early community what it is to be a church, what it is to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer? And so as we jump into the scriptures now into the story, uh, we'll start at the place where Uh, We left off a number of weeks ago uh, with these two disciples. Jesus has died. All their hopes were in him. All their hopes were in this new movement, and Jesus dies. And they go off, and they're they're leaving Jerusalem uh, heartbroken. And they're walking away, and Jesus shows up to them mysteriously and doesn't quite reveal himself until finally he breaks bread like he did on the night of his, his betrayal. And their eyes were opened, and then he vanishes immediately. And we, we, we dropped the story there. But what happens after that is that these two disciples come running back into Jerusalem, somewhere around this temple where the disciples were, were kind of hiding in an upper room somewhere. And just as they get there and break in, they say, Jesus is alive. Their joy was exceeding, it says in the scriptures, They're, Jesus is alive. And then they, the other disciples say, I know, he's, we, we've, we've seen him in a garden. And just then, Luke says in his gospel, Jesus appears to them. And it says that they were so afraid that, um, that they thought that they were hallucinating. They thought they were seeing a ghost. And Jesus walks over to them and says, why are you, why are you losing your faith in all of this? Why are you losing, why are you faltering here? I, I told you this was going to happen. I told you I was going to die and I was going to rise again. And... He's like, I'm not a ghost. He said, come touch me. Come feel my bones. Come feel my flesh. And they still don't believe. They touch him. They're like, we don't believe that this is possible. This is unlike anything we could have ever imagined. And then Jesus says, all right, well, give me something to eat. So he takes some fish and he eats fish. He says, ghosts don't eat fish. And they finally realized. And Jesus said to them, and this is key. He says to them, I had to fulfill what was written about me in the scriptures, that the Son of Man was going to die and be raised again in order to proclaim forgiveness of sins, a repentance for the forgiveness of sins for all peoples everywhere. And with that, he uh, says, all right, now that you know the mission, now that you know what, what your job is, follow me. And he takes them out to this hillside that's overlooking the temple, a place called Bethany. And he says to them, um, your job is to go to the world and to, to proclaim that I'm the Lord, proclaim that the new kingdom has come. And then with that, it says he was sort of he started levitating and was taken to heaven uh, at, the, at the right hand of the Father. But he said, I'm not leaving. Before he left, he said, I'm not leaving until I give you something, a gift. But I'm not going to give it to you for a couple of months. So go back into Jerusalem, hang out, and it'll be coming. It's a promise that your Father will give to you. And so he, le- he leaves, and that gospel of Luke ends this way. They, they left his presence with great joy, and they went straight into the temple. To, and so the story ends in Luke and begins in Acts. And what happens in Acts is uh, the great story of this early church beginning and trying to figure out how are we are going to do this? How are we going to proclaim this great message that the world and all of its sadness is being turned on its head? So what happens is uh, the, they're, in, they're in this room about a couple months later, uh, they hear this noise. The Holy Spirit comes down upon them and empowers them. And this guy, Peter, who was a fisherman, who was, uh, had, not, had no seminary training, wasn't a very religious man, but had, who had walked and lived and loved Jesus, was given this unbelievable courage. And he walks out into the temple courts here. And there, at this point, there must have been a couple hundred, if not a thousand people. And he goes up into the corner up here and to the right, up and the left, in front of this great awe-inspiring place, and he says to the people, listen to me. I'm going to tell you something, and you need to listen to carefully to me. These are religious authorities, who Peter's courageously saying, you're going to listen to me now. And Peter says... Um, The time that was prophesied has now come upon us. What you see and my boldness here and and all of the the miracles and all of that, it's because the new creation has begun. God's world and God's kingdom is established on earth as it is in heaven in Jesus' resurrection. And he gives his most beautiful sermon. And at the end of it, he's proclaiming the forgiveness. Again, the forgiveness of sins to, to the people of God and to the people who would come close to him. And forgiveness of sins, uh, brothers and sisters, I know sometimes we think of forgiveness of sins as I've done a bunch wrong. I'm kind of guilty about it and I need to tell God about it. Like that's kind of a cheap version of what forgiveness of sins is actually about. Yeah, we do all sorts of things that aren't right and do all sorts of things that are hurtful and against God's will. Forgiveness of sins is being uh, forgiven of those and our conscience being cleared and our, our sins being washed away. But it's also about something far more. It's about a people who were far from God, who didn't know God, who were, who were exiled from God, being embraced and coming home to their heavenly father. I don't know where you're at today with all this. I don't know where you're at in terms of your relationship with God and, and what that's about. But the great message with proclamation is it, you have a heavenly father who is, has his arms wide open and if, you've, and if you've been a son or daughter of this father for a long time and are struggling or far away, the great message, the great proclamation is that you can come close. He loves you. He's with you. And he's for you. This is the gospel that Jesus gave to his disciples. And this is the job of the church. One of the main jobs, again, is to preach this gospel, to proclaim forgiveness and, f- and freedom for, God's, for the people of God. So all that to say... That's why I've, you know, so carefully gone through the kingdom of God teachings. This proclamation and healing and why that's all important. What's that about? Because we can't just end up looking at the big four and say, let's check it off. Are we we devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching? Are we devoting ourselves to prayer? Are we um, meeting every need that we can find? Are we breaking bread in each other's homes? Because, yes, those are the main four and we do those things. but, But if... If we forget about the kingdom of God, we just sort of close the doors into our church and become this little community of people who are just trying to take care of each other. And that's that's not what the church is about. The church is about the kingdom of God and proclaiming it. um, all that to say, as we get into to see what these guys did, we have to see it with a bigger picture of the kingdom of God at hand and what's happened in, in Jesus. And so we get into this teaching. So Peter's proclaimed this. He's proclaimed this message. And he says, you Jewish people conspired with the pagans to kill our Lord and Savior. And he's risen from the dead to testify that his new world is to come. And they're all cut at heart. And they say to Peter, what shall we do? And he says, be baptized in the name of the Lord. And... Uh, uh, and joined up and said there's about... Th- so, so this is where the story begins here. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves, and here it is, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need day by day as they spent much time together in the temple they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having the goodwill of all the people and day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved so here it is when part of my goal of this sermon series is to to help you kind of come along with me in thinking about how are we going to do church going forward grassroots 2.0 we're just about to sort of launch that in in September how do we think about doing this how do we figure out what to do and what not to do and so not only am I asking myself in every situation is this preaching the gospel is this contributing to healing perhaps is it doing both at once I'm asking myself is it part of the big four and this is the scripture that I turn to to come up with that so uh, we'll talk about this We'll just, yeah, we have time to dig in here, and and we're going to get nitty-gritty here in terms of uh, the big four and what are we doing as a church. So uh, it's always interesting to me, like, uh, this is kind of, turns now into about a kind of an in-house kind of conversation, a family conversation of grassroots. Here's here's what to look forward to. And so we have a sort of big host of guests today, so you've come at an interesting time to kind of get a a peek behind the curtain, so to speak. Uh, So how are we doing this as a church? How are we going to go forward in in these big four? Uh, The first one is simply this, is the living room on Sundays. Why the, the living room here? On Sunday mornings. Why do we gather like this? Why do we spend our Sunday mornings when it's a glorious day outside? Why do we, why do we come in here week after week and, and beat together like this? Well, w- what we're doing f- Foundationally, is devoting ourselves to the apostles' teachings. That's part of my role is to help us together figure out how are we going to stick week in and week out and remember the story, remember what we're here about. How are we going to? Um, and this falls, uh, and this whole next year is a perfect time because I'm going to be launching into a series on Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is sort of strange to us, really, if we pay attention to him. How do we come to know him through studying him in the Word? How do we come to know him through prayer? We're going to launch a whole year of this of of, of Jesus, and um, and foundationally, where do we get Jesus other than the Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—and we'll dig into those, which which are themselves the the stories, the biographies, ultimately pulled together of Jesus's teaching. So, of and then the apostles' teaching as well. So, uh, we come together and. Um, at, at intervals and at, at uh, various times, we sort of forego the preaching and do other things. But for the most part, we come and we listen and, and I proclaim to you with, the, with uh, as best as possible, the apostles' teaching. So we're devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. And we're devoting ourselves to prayer. I mean, what, what is a time of music and prayer other, other than our chance to come into the presence of our maker together? Coming into the presence of our maker together is so much easier than coming to the presence of our maker alone I find it harder to keep devoted day after day to coming into the presence of God because I've got my to-do lists, I've got my appointments, I've got my concerns. But somehow when I come together, all of that stuff, I can put that aside easier um, when I come into this place. Now, here's the other thing about prayer. We come together not not just to put aside the things that were concerned about, which is to say, God God only wants sort of my happy-go-lucky version as I pray to him. God wants us to bring all these things. I mean, you guys, I've lived among you enough to know that you have complicated lives, hard lives, lives that are full of trial and struggle and great celebration sometimes. Uh, And so what we do here day in and day out is to say, all of these things that are stirring within us, that we don't know what to do with, that we have a hard time with, we bring to the throne of God. We come into His His presence in this room, and we say to Him, uh, "God, we are we are here. We are offering ourselves to you." And what what other than different to that? Is that what the apostles were doing? No, that's what they were doing. They were coming in day by day after Jesus arose and giving them their hearts to God. And in return, God gives us huge embrace back and we find healing and we we remember that he is Lord. So that's what we're doing here uh, on Sunday mornings. That's why we meet over and over again. Uh, If we don't do that, if we don't have a faith community in which to come week after week, we will fade. Our faith will fade. Our hearts will fade. We need each other. We need each other to do this. Um, So one more thing to say, too, and the reason why I went really into all the temple stuff is because um, I think to myself, okay, so what around northern Ontario would evoke as much awe as this great Jerusalem temple? Because I believe that uh, we need spaces to awe us into the presence because our lives can get uh, humdrum and uh, boring and all of that. What can spark our imaginations? Well, the closest thing I know is creation around here. The boreal forests, the sleeping giant, the, the, the cedar trees, the birch trees, the, the very dangerous animals you guys have here. Um, I would just love for us as a community, as a church, to, con- to, to ask the question, okay, let's plan to do something. Can we do this in the forest? (laughs) Can we do this outside? Uh, John Muir, one of, uh, an inspiring writer, talks about creation as God's cathedral. I believe that if we can get out there as much as possible as a church, the better. And so, anyway, I just wanted to share that hope and dream with you. Uh, So, living rooms on Sundays. Now, roots and shoots. I need to get a on a bit of a soapbox I know I'm preaching to the choir here uh, but I need to get a, a bit on a soapbox about a children's ministry um, children's ministry oftentimes in many churches I was at a church once where the pastor got up and he said we said now you know that the children we take them back at the very beginning of the service and you leave them through all the way all through the songs all through the preaching all through the end and then you go pick them up and he says the reason why, why we do this is because children are the most selfish people in the world and they're the most distracting I wanted to, like, it was like 2,000 people, but I wanted to walk wired up and like shake them on the collar. Like what Jesus says about children is this they are our teachers in the faith. They, whenever he wanted to get a, a big, profound kingdom, a message about the kingdom, he went and grabbed the scruff of a little kid and brought him in the middle of the adults and said, This is the kingdom of God. So, Grassroots Church has 80 plus kids in its, in its community. This is unbelievable. And the children of our church are our greatest responsibility. They're our greatest resource in, in that they are our teachers, is what I'm saying. And so, roots and shoots. Uh, oftentimes, churches can have this sense, and I don't fully have it here. I think it exists a little bit here and there. Uh, but there's a sense that the, this is church. The Church happens in here. Devoting ourselves to the apostle, teaching and prayer happens here. And then back there is where we send the kids so that they don't distract us. So, like, we're gonna shatter that worldview. We're gonna shatter that culture, uh, which, again, again, is not here. I don't, I don't find it thick here, but in, in many churches, you do. Uh, we're gonna shatter that culture and to say, there's people that devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and prayer here. And then the kids do that back there in a space designed for them, in a space designed for them to take in the story of God and to pray as well. So uh, this is Roots and Shoots. Uh, Roots and Shoots is the, the, uh, the time for the kids to come back to learn about God, to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and prayer. And um, what we need, what the church needs ultimately is for to have um, teachers with some consistency be back there. Uh, to be with them. The kids can uh, make relationships with, uh, develop a relationship with the same person over a period of time. We also need the kids to have a sense of the diversity of, of um, adults in this church as well. We need, we need to have every once in a while uh, the, the kids to rotate around the different adults. So basically what we're gonna need for this year coming up is we're gonna need 12 to 16 people, okay? We have a church of 200 to 230 with 80 kids. We need 12 to 16 people, to say, I will spend three months at a time back there doing church with the kids. So if this, if this is inspiring you, this is my, my plea. Uh, I know, I know it's, it's hard because you think, okay, how can I spend three months out there? I'm missing church. Well, I'm challenging us. You're not missing church. I mean, if you want to hear what I have to say, it's not always that great. It's on podcasts. Um, so we need 12 to 16 people to say, for three months at a time, I will go back there and teach our kids about the Lord and guide them in prayer. And then for, what's, what's 12 minus three, nine. For nine other months of the, of, the, of the year, you're in here. Now, we need those core people to run Roots and Shoots, but we also need volunteers to help. Uh, we need people to, to be in there. And if we all do it, if we all say, I will spend One week out of every six or seven back with the kids, not even preparing, not having to do anything, but just assisting, just being with them, helping them in their way through the order of their worship. Uh, You know, putting your hands on their shoulders when kids get a bit ruley. It's not hard. You don't have to like kids, you don't have to like other people's kids. You just got to go back there and enjoy them. And and it's a, a blessing. It's a blessing. It's a huge blessing to you. Your faith will grow. So, Roots and Shoots. This is our children's ministry, and, and we need all of us to be involved back there. So stay tuned. Uh, I will be on this soapbox more uh, in time. Uh, I didn't want to say with that. I think that was it. Um, oh, I did want to say this too. Uh, another thing that is important for, for you to know as, as I'm thinking through as lead, leading the church here. Uh, there's lots of kind of new studies out about why young people leave the church, about why you don't have a generation of people like you've had in the past in North America coming to church. Uh, people leave the church for many reasons, but one of them uh, is the fact that they just don't really know how to be part of the larger adult community once they get old enough. Uh, and part of that is our strategy as a, as a church abroad has been um, take them and isolate them in the back and then um, think that one hour a week, out of everything else that shapes them, will will be enough. Like, they have a trillion dollar advertising industry to come up against. They have their friends. They have their families, which sometimes can be obstacles to faith. And they have have a number of other factors in their life that are trying to shape them into who other people want them to be. To bring them into church for one hour a week... And to think that we're going to make a difference in the face of that is kind of a bit, uh, I just, I think it's a bit small-minded. We, uh, we, we need it. We need, we need something for the kids to bring them together, just like we all need to be together. Look, We can't get rid of children's ministry or, or, or whatnot all together. We have to have it. It has to be great. It has to be a wonderful experience for kids. But the best place to grow faith is in their homes in their home lives, because that's, they spend a ton of time with their parents, with their siblings. And so part of our job as a church isn't just to create a program. Part of our job as a church is to say, how can we resource you to do faith at home? How can we constantly be knocking on your door and maybe in a bit of an annoying way and say, hey, what are you, what are you doing? Uh, here's what some other people are doing. Think about this. What could you be doing to grow faith at home? Because if they're having their faith grown at home, it's, they're going to have the best chance as young people growing up in this world to make it. So I just wanted to mention that as well, because you will see some initiative, some resource, and more and more as time goes on poured into your family lives and helping you in that way. So uh, I will just sort of uh, move on here. Uh, seminars. Uh, this, this um, I would love, I mean, grassroots started with a school. It started with a group of uh, people for many years mm-hmm. devoting themselves to the Bible, uh, and uh, learning. and This is part of grassroots DNA, and as grassroots has grown and aged, um, this, this love of learning and this love of loving God with our minds has, has stayed part of the community. I would love to start up another school, people. I would love to start up another school in which people are, are trained on how to make a difference for God in this world, which is, uh, would be scriptural study, which would be some training in how to do ministry. It's not quite time yet to start that up. But in the meantime, I can't not scratch this itch, so we're going to do some seminars this fall and this year. Uh, The first seminar is going to be on the authority of Scripture. Uh, What makes the Bible holy? What about the Scriptures from non-Christian faith traditions? Why are Scriptural stories relevant today? And here's my blurb. Join in this two-day workshop on the authority of Scripture. Participants will study, eat together, listen to inspiring Scriptures Talk together in small groups, and journal. We will learn about the nature of inspiration, how the Bible was collected, and why we treat the scriptures as our final authority for God's will on earth as it is in heaven. So, you'll, you'll be seeing the sign-ups for that soon. It's a Friday night, all day Saturday thing. And there will, there will be a kids' uh, day all day Saturday here that will go along with that, so you can bring your kids and uh, have like, a kids' camp day. The second one, Christian praying. Here's my blurb. Why do we pray? How is prayer linked with faith? What are the big obstacles that cause us to forsake praying? Join in this two-day workshop on forming a life of prayer. Participants will study, eat together, pray together, talk together in small groups and journal. We will learn about the history of prayer from ancient times, how the Psalms and Christian prayer tradition relate with other prayer traditions, and think through our own life of prayer. So, I'm excited about this. I uh, hope you are too. Hope you sign up uh, to come to these things. We'll have a good time. So, uh, this is another way to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and prayer until we can have until the time is right to get a school up and going. Uh, and finally, well, the prayer room. We're gonna we're, we're uh, shaping up a prayer room in the, in the middle of the church, in the heart of the church. There's a room that's getting transformed into a prayer room that will be open during the week. That will be open during work. The 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 worship time that will be during, open during after, uh, after the service, so stay tuned. that will be ready by September 10th uh, ready to go for f- it's phase one uh, and finally retreats, uh, like I was saying before about praying in sacred spaces, I would just love grassroots to be a place of robust uh, experience in in the woods with the Bible and with uh, some teaching and conversation and so we're going to try to begin that process by having the church wide retreat which I think many of you have heard about coming up in a couple weeks, and um, I just I have a dream that we can um, we can spend a lot of time out in the woods together praying. So uh, that will that will come in time. Uh, And so next week we're going to talk about home groups, and we're going to talk about uh, the idea of breaking bread together in one another's homes, and the idea of meeting every need possible. What are we going to do going forward in terms of those two things? So, but for this week, uh, again, we are um, gathering together to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. And we're doing so in a way that we hope reminds the whole world that Jesus is Lord and in a way that allows them to experience deep personal healing in the process. And we do it together. And as we do that, we hope and we pray that God's kingdom would come on earth in Thunder Bay in Northern Ontario as it is in heaven and that's our dream to be part of that as a little small community doing its own own little bit of effort in, in the process. So that's the dream. That's the vision. That's the uh, the teaching on church today. So uh, we 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 have these prayers in our hearts, and they're big. They're great prayers. The prayers that uh, are, are bigger than any of us. They're probably bigger than us put together. Uh, but we have this great promise that Jesus is with us, inspiring us, helping us to not kill each other when they pull paint off a wall, Um, helping us to stay one and unified. And uh, we come together every week with this meal, this family meal, to close it off as a way to say, um, we we honor Jesus' instructions. He said, whenever you gather, every time, come together and uh, remember my sacrifice for you. Remember that my, my self that I've given for you, my very body, my very blood, is going to build a new world. And you're going to be part of it. So take it in. Take my body and and blood into you. So we have the bread here. You can come and dip it into the juice. Uh, And I like to say, whatever God has inspired you with today, I don't know what God has spoken to you. Whether it was through the time of singing or watching Aberdeen be dedicated to the Lord. Or in the proclamation of the word or whatever God, maybe nothing has particularly inspired you, but you're thinking something. You can't stop thinking about it. God is speaking to you. God is speaking with us here. Whatever it is today uh, that's in your heart, this is the chance to come up and tell God thanks. And to so ask him to continue on with you, dip the bread in the juice, take him in you and receive the promise once again that he has died and raised again for the forgiveness of sins so that all who have been far away from our heavenly father might come close. So the table is set, uh, and everyone here today is welcome.